Welcome to week one of our new series, uh, Family Matters. And I know you guys just sat down, but um, I, I want to start off the way I, I do most Sundays, doing my usual thing, reading some words that were breathed by the God of the universe, and then praying us into our conversation. So if you guys would stand as I read some scripture. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. May God bless the reading of his word and i like for us to pray into the series, and if you happen to be next to a family member as I pray, I would invite you just to grab a hold on their hand as we pray into this new series, Family Matters. Heavenly Father, we, we humbly come into your presence, Lord, and God, every one of us is, is part of the family, God. And Lord, we, we pray right now for every home, every marriage, every relationship, every relationship between Mom and son, mom and daughter, dad and daughter, dad and son, parent and children, God, husband and wife. God, we pray that your presence will just fall in this place. God, I pray that your truth would rain down upon us, and God, that we would surrender and submit to your truth and trust you. And God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. God, because as we align our families, our relationships, and our homes according to your word, God, we can trust that that new things and better things and fresh things are going to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this week as I began digging into the series, I Googled the word family, and there were 5.6 billion results. It took a long time, let me tell you, to go over each one of those. And the first one was dictionary.com. And it had a definition. Uh, family, a, a basic social unit consisting of parents and their children, Considered as a group, whether dwelling together or not. Any group of persons closely related by blood as parents, children, uncles, aunts, and cousins. A group of persons who form a household under one head, including parents and children. And I read that and I just got so warm and fuzzy. That is such a warm and fuzzy feeling of that family. And then I, then I, I Googled um, this phrase, importance of the family. 486 million results which led me to Google 
The importance of family quotes. And there were 13.3 million results. And and here's some of the the quotes I found that I thought were pretty good. Uh, Michael J. Fox, family is not an important thing. It's it's everything. Uh, Denzel Washington, acting is just a way of making a living. The family is life. Chinese proverb, govern the family as you would cook a small fish. Very gently. George Moore, a man travels the world over in search of what he needs and returns home to find it. Confucius kind of rocks it right here. To put the world in order, we must first put the nation in order. And to put the nation in order, we must first put the family in order. Amen? Let's quit wagging our finger at the nation and let's get our family the way it's supposed to be. Um, Ring Lardner, the family you come from isn't as important as the family you're going to have. Jane Howard, call it a clan, call it a network, call it a tribe, call it a family, whatever you call it, whoever you are, you need one. I like this one here. Uh, The great gift of family is to be intimately acquainted with people you might never even introduce yourself to. Had life not done it for you. There's nothing that makes you more insane than family, more happy, more exasperated, or more secure. Jim Butcher. Remember Bombeck, the family. We were a strange little band of characters trudging through life, sharing diseases and toothpaste, coveting one another's desserts, hiding shampoo, borrowing money, locking each other out of our rooms, inflicting pain and kissing to heal it in the same instant, loving, laughing, defending, and trying to figure out the common thread that bound us all together. And George Burns' happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. Your <laughs> 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 family, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's like a huge deal. It's a place where we begin and many ways, we will always be. Family, no matter how hard we may try, we cannot seem to get away from it. I mean, family, it's, it's, it's just everywhere. And, and this week, I, I started thinking about all the, all the TV shows that there have been over the years that were built around the subject of family, from Ozzie and Harriet, Fathers Knows Best and the Brady Bunch, to Modern Family, to Simpsons, and This Is Us, with hundreds in between, family shows are everywhere. And I'm going to show you 10 families Right? And let me know, not just the show, but what is the name of these families? Let's, let's see the first one. Who are these people? The Bradys. The Bradys. All right. It's the story. Okay. okay. Who's this one? The Waltons. Next. Who's this family? The Crawleys, right? I'm not ashamed. I watched it. All right. That's a good show. Right? The Simpsons. All right. Who's this family right here? No? And what's the family? The Nelson, the Nelson family, okay? This one. Braverman's, parenthood, good job, good job. Uh, Here here we go, my favorite growing up, leave it the beaver. Man, I love the beef, right? Okay, the cleavers. Who's this family? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, they were the, the Banks, the Banks family. How about this one right here? The Gilmores, right? The Gilmore girls, right? Woo! (laughs) <laughs> Got some applause back there for Gilmore Girls. All right, bring it. All right, and, and this one right here. And, and one of the families is the Pearsons, right? Family, everywhere, right? I, on, on Thursday, I, I posted on Facebook, uh, hey, name what was one of your favorite TV shows growing up or now on my Facebook. 52 people responded. There were about 65 different TV families were mentioned. 
And the top mentions were, you know, coming in with four mentions, we had the Cleavers and the Bravermans. Coming in with five, we had the Ingalls, right, of Little House of the Prairie fame and the Tanners of Full House. And coming in tied with six mentions were the Waltons and this is us, the Pearsons. Now you can see from your notes and from the screen that today's conversation is called, Where Do We Begin? And today's basically an introductory conversation to the series, a series where we're going to, where we're going to uncover some timeless biblical principles and we're going to meet some biblical families that will help our family become everything that God wants them to be. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about some ingredients that that if you put these ingredients into your family, into, into your family, they're guaranteed to work. They're guaranteed to take your family to the next level, whatever that level would be. And then on May the 7th, we're going to begin looking at some biblical families, beginning with Samson's family. And that family is going to teach us the right and wrong way to go about looking for your soulmate. Okay? And then on the 14th, Mother's Day, we're going to look at a mom named Hannah in a conversation I'm calling a mother's desperate prayer. On the 21st of May, we're going to look at Jacob's family. And they're going to help us figure out what to do when our marriage is not working out so good. On the 28th of May, Eli's family is going to help us when parenting gets tough. If you're a parent, has it ever got tough, right? Uh, On the 4th of June, we're we're going to meet David's family. And David's family is going to show us what we need to do when conflict comes knocking. You know that time in your family where no one seems to be able to get along? And then on the 11th of June, Abraham's family is going to help us see Um, that when we are faced with a hard and difficult time, that it's faith that's going to get us through. And we'll wrap this up on Father's Day by looking at a guy named Joseph and a conversation I'm calling Called to Be a Dad. Now understand, my my, my hope and my intent during the next nine weeks is that that it'll be a great time, a productive time, and a potentially family-altering time. And listen, here's the bottom line. If we take the advice of James, as we sit in this room the next few weeks, you know when James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, right? Listening is good, right? It's good that we're here listening, right? Praise the Lord, hallelujah, right? You know, but he says, we can deceive ourselves, right? But do what it says. And here's the deal. If we do what the word says about the family, great things, good things, positive things will happen in our families. If we do what the word says about our family, good things, great things, positive things will happen in our families. Get it? Good. Family. Where do we begin? Now, one of the things that make this topic so challenging is that there are so many different families represented in our church. I mean, there are blended families. We're, we're one of those. Second marriages, I got that one too, right? We have stepchildren and stepparents, right? We, we have adopted children, right? Uh, we have single-parent homes in this church. We have homes with children, home without children, a home with toddlers, home with teens, and other homes where the nest is now empty. With all that diversity, where do we begin? I mean, do we have anything in common? And this week I was thinking, well, you know, I think there's four things at least we have in common when it comes to our families. Number one, when it comes to our family of origin, 
We had no choice. I got to just tell you, on February the 4th, 1960, I just kind of showed up, and I was in the Malone family, right? All next, I'm in Baltimore, Maryland, and boom, all right? You're part of the Malone family. And you know the old saying, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family, right? And many of us, probably in our teens, would have loved to be in a different family, right? Usually one of our friends' family. I, I, I wanted to be in the Weber family. You know, my friend Eddie Weber, they seem to have the coolest family ever, right? They had a big house, you know, they had a cool dog. We had a poodle, right? They had a golden retriever. You know, a teenage boy, a poodle just doesn't cut it, right? You know, and, and, and they had this cool dog, and their mom and dad seemed to be so awesome. Like, oh, man, I just want to be in the, the Weber family. Uh, uh, number two, uh, we have in common uh, the words father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, etc. They're not emotionally neutral words. Instead, those words are packed with emotion, carrying with them pain, sorrow, hurt, joy, laughter, chaos, good times, rough times. Number three, at times, we felt that not one person that we were related to was as smart as us, right? Now, Mark Twain said this, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to be around the old fool. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old guy had learned in the last seven years. Right? I remember thinking like that as a teenager, right? If everyone just listened to me, if they just did what I said, things would go so much smoother around here. But then one day, I found myself leading a family, and I suddenly found out that I'm not so smart anymore. It's like, I should know this. I should be able to figure this out. Why do I keep inventing new ways of doing stupid things, right? I, I still do that. And number four, we have this in common. No matter what the condition of our family, we would like to see them become better, right? I mean, raise your hand if you want your family to become worse, right? Any, okay, okay. Family matters. And, and listen, I'm convinced that for many families in this room who are going to take the advice of James and not only listen but, but do what he says, uh, that, that some huge things are going to happen, huger than you could ever imagine. Some marriages, I know it should be a word, right? Some marriages, some parent-child relationships, some families will never be the same again. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that it's possible for the next nine weeks that God could create a movement in your family that could change everything? I do. And you know why? Uh, because of this and other verses in Scripture, but this one in particular. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I mean, your family is hurting right now. Your marriage isn't going the way you wished and hoped it would. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, there's conflict in your family. Now him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power... That is a work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Family, where do we begin? And that's not only a good question, it's a critical question. I'm going to attempt to answer that question by unpacking two statements. Where do we begin? Number one, we begin with God. In the beginning, God created everything, including family. Yeah, family was God's idea from the very beginning. Question, if your dishwasher was broken, would you grab your owner's manual for your dishwasher or your vacuum cleaner 
to try to figure out what was wrong. And if you saw somebody grab the owner's manual for the vacuum cleaner to fix their dishwasher, what would you think about that person? They're an idiot, right? (laughs) Not so smart. Here's the point. When it comes to family and what they should look like, we begin with God. We begin by looking at the owner's manual breathed by the guy who thought this whole thing up in the first place. Get it? Good. And and you know what we find when we open up the Bible and we begin to look at biblical families? We find that they are really messed up. I mean, think about how it all started. The first family, Adam and Eve, born into a perfect world, a garden paradise. How long did that last? Three chapters. And then by chapter four, their two kids are totally out of control. I mean, Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel, and he kills him. The first recorded homicide is between two brothers. Lamech, Noah's dad, introduces polygamy to the world because one wife wasn't enough for him. Noah, the most righteous guy in his generation, gets drunk, gets naked, and later curses his own grandson. Lot, when his home is surrounded by the residents of Sodom who, who want to violate his house gets, offers his daughters instead. And later on, his daughters get him drunk and get impregnated by him. And Lot's the most righteous guy in Sodom. Sarah talks Abraham into sleeping with her servant Hagar. And, and then later, she gets Abraham to kick his teenage son Ishmael out in the wilderness with Hagar creating the first recorded single mom. Abraham makes Sarah lie twice. Abraham placed favorites between his two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac placed favorites between his two sons, Jacob and Esau, and they become bitter enemies for 20 years. Jacob placed favorites between Joseph and his brothers, and his brothers have him sold into slavery. Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben, sleeps with his father's wife. Judah, another son of Jacob, sleeps with his daughter-in-law when she disguises herself as a prostitute. And guys, we're still in Genesis. (laughs) David's son, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, Tamar. And Tamar's brother, Absalom, two years later, kills him and a bunch of other people at a family dinner. Then later on, Absalom declares war on his dad and tries to take his throne. Yeah, these people are messed up. They need a therapist. I love what John Ortberg writes about the families in the Bible. It's so good. They're not the Waltons. And guess what? The Waltons weren't the Waltons either, let me tell you. Uh, They need Dr. Phil, Dr. Lar, Dr. Ruth, Dr. Smock, Dr. Seuss. They need somebody. (laughs) Feel any better about your family? (laughs) So you look at the Old Testament and you say, what can I learn about these people? They're really kind of messed up. There's some lousy examples. Then we come to the New Testament, we don't see that many examples of family, right? Yeah, we got, we, we, we have uh, Jesus' family, but even there we have that incident, right? Like, hey, have you seen Jesus? I don't know, where is he? Right? Three days later, they find him, right, in the city of Jerusalem, right? And, and so, we don't find too many examples of family in the New Testament. What we do find are principles and commands for the family. Principles that when the apostles took them into the Greek and Roman world were so new, so radical, that it blew the minds of those living in the first century. Now, these principles are not new and radical to us. In fact, 20 years later, on the other side of them, they seem like common sense or maybe even a little bit old-fashioned. 
But we need to remember that when Peter and Paul and, and the rest took the teachings of Jesus about family and, and, and about the value of men and women and children into their world, it was totally foreign, absolutely new, radical, different, out of the box, and outside the lines. In fact, it had never been tried in a culture before. You see, the world into which these principles were first born and took root was a culture where women had little, if any, value, and, and where children pretty much had no value at all. For example, we read Jesus at one time, you know, Paul's in his, his sermon and say, hey, come on, you know, let the little kids come on up. And we think, oh, isn't that cute? He's letting the children come up. But the people back then would be totally blown away. You're allowing children to come into the place of adults? I understand that the teachings in the New Testament about women, now, women and children were elevated to a level that had never been seen before. And listen, in every culture that embraces New Testament teaching, every culture, that's always what happens. Women and children are elevated. Again, that makes sense to us. But it was new and radical in the world of the first century. And by the way, in some places, it's still new and radical. I, I remember several years back, uh, myself, Steve Bailey, and Todd Calvin, we went to Bangladesh and to encourage pastors over there and one of the things that we had encouraged them about was how that now as a Christian they're already pastors but as a Christian pastor or as a Christian man you need to treat your wife differently than the rest of the culture you can't treat her as a second-class citizen anymore you have to treat her differently because you're a Christian they didn't even know they had to be taught that because that's not their culture you see the New Testament teaches that in Christ Jesus died for all people, men, women, and children equally. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Jesus Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Talk about radical stuff. I mean, a woman in Paul's day maybe couldn't be a Roman citizen, but she could become a citizen of the kingdom of God, equal and on par with her husband's. Incredible, mind-blowing, a cultural revolution. And in light of this truth, the equal value of men, women, and children, how should family work? And here's what we find in the New Testament about family. Again, not new to us, common sense. Maybe it may seem a little bit old and outdated. But children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your fathers and mothers, which is the first commandment with the promise. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. But you don't know my husband. And Paul's like, hang on, hang on, I'm not finished. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And why does Paul say that? Because men in that culture in that time were exactly the opposite. They were harsh with their dog, harsh with their horse, and harsh with their wives. And Paul says, guys, that time is, it's over. You don't own your wife. You don't take advantage of her. Uh, Understand, as a Christian man, it is extremely important how you treat your wife. She's not a piece of property. You're not to be harsh with her. You're to to love her, to love her as Christ loves the church. And fathers, Paul says, do not exasperate your children or they'll become discouraged. 
Don't say things and treat them in a way that frustrates them, that, that puts a weight on them, that discourages them. And it's like Paul is saying, fathers, I know that your tendency is to treat your kids like something you own. So be very careful how you talk to them and how you treat them. Fathers, your words and your actions carry weight with your kids. You know, a, a mom's words, negative words, carry about 25 pounds of weight. A, a dad's negative words carry about 2,500 pounds of weight. Don't exasperate your children. They'll become discouraged. And, and, and I've blown this one more times than I care to count. Even when I think I'm not, right? You want to think, hey, I'm only instructing. <laughs> I'm only teaching. You know, I'm only helping. I'm only pointing out things that are messed up that I can help you out and, 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 and fix for you. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Some of you guys are wondering, hey, why is, man, why has God not answered my prayers? He says, start treating my daughter right, bonehead. <laughs> if you don't treat my daughter right, don't expect to get something from me, right? See, your wife is not just your wife. She's God's daughter. I'll tell you what, someone messes with my daughter, one of my daughters, it's on, right? On like Donkey Kong, right? It's on, big time. Don't mess with one of my daughters. And so, man, treat your wife right, and maybe God will start hearing you when you pray. So here's a summary. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't frustrate and irritate your kids. Common sense, old-fashioned, very idealistic, right? Because the truth is, we didn't come from perfect families. <laughs> We're not in a perfect family. See, when it comes to the teaching about family in the Bible, there's the ideal and there's the real. And there's an incredible drawing by me to represent this, right? <laughs> you have the... The ideal and the real, and you have a gap. Because what's real, right, is you're, you're going through or you've been through a difficult divorce. What's real is your marriage isn't going so well. What's real is your kids are rebelling. They're doing things you never thought they would do. And you cannot remember the last time you had a decent conversation with them. And what's real is you're not even sure if your spouse likes you, let alone loves you anymore. What's real is you totally lost your mind this week in a fit of anger and rage and spewed out a bunch of hateful words all over your family. You see, there's the real, the ideal, and the gap. And that creates tension, right? Man, it's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And so what do we do with this gap, Right? Do we just give up on the ideal and say it's impossible, it's never going to happen? Understand, we live in a culture, hear me, that hates this tension and wants to normalize everything so no one feels bad. Therefore, they say things like, well, you know, all kids, when they become teenagers, rebel and do wild things, right? So it's okay. Hey, it's okay to raise, it's okay now to raise a child in a home that maybe is missing a dad or missing a mom. It's okay. Hey, it's okay that you and your husband always fight and holler and scream and never resolve issues because, hey, no marriage is perfect. It's okay. It's okay to yell and scream. You see, we have the ideal and the real. And listen, our, our families will never be perfect. But hear me. We dare not resolve this tension. 
right? Because if we do, we lose something, right? We begin to settle, right? Well, I'll just settle. My marriage is just going to be this way. My relationship with my kids is just going to be that way. We settle for something less than God's best. And so here's the question. Are we willing to embrace an ideal when it comes to our family, even though we may never reach it, or will we give up on the ideal so they just feel better about where we are? Uh, it's okay. Everybody's messed up. Again, the summary, husbands love your wives. Be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't frustrate and irritate your kids. And this brings us to the second statement in your notes. Where do we begin? It begins with a shift in mindset. You know, of, of these four things on the screen, husbands, love your wives and, and be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. If you could show that screen real quick, guys, the next one. Booyah. All right. Uh, children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't frustrate your kids. Which one is most controversial of those statements? Uh, which one is the most politically incorrect? Any ideas? Anybody see something? You know, we know it, right? Why, I mean, why submitting to their husbands is about as popular as Donald Trump at a Democratic fundraising dinner, right? Not very popular. And guys got this one memorized. We know this one, right? You know? But notice what the first word is. What? Wives. Okay? It's not written to you, guys. So maybe you should pay attention to what's written to you, right? Let wives worry what's written to them, and you focus on what's written to you. Amen? Now, they're, 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 and this is really important. We need to understand that the principle, why submit to your husbands, is a specific application of a principle that applies to everyone. Because the verse right before why submit to your husbands is this verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to who? One another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. What a radical statement. Especially in the culture of the first century, a culture driven by power, a culture where might made right. I understand, in a culture where you leverage your power, yourself to get what you want, the idea that you would submit to another, it was crazy, it was insane. It was a cultural revolution. But listen, the kingdom that, that Jesus came to establish is not a kingdom driven by power, but a kingdom driven by, by love. Remember, Jesus said all the law and all the prophets can be summed up in this one command, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, if you've been here for a while, right, you know, it, it's not over. Your refrigerator magnet, your eight closest neighbors, Right? You know, get to know their names. You know, we have more magnets. Put in your refrigerator. Get to know the names of your eight closest neighbors and figure out ways to love them, right? You know, you know, loving our neighbor doesn't go away just because the series we moved on from, right? Okay? And if you're here visiting, grab one. And the whole goal is, let's, if we're supposed to love our neighbor, maybe that means, like, maybe even the people, like, next door to us, right? Um, and get to know their names. And Jesus said on the night of his betrayal, love one another just as I loved you. Just as I loved you. I loved you even though you're a bunch of boneheads, right? I love you even though you're about to deny me. I love you even though you're about to betray me. I love you even though you're about to leave me all by myself. I love you anyhow. Jesus says, love each other with that same kind of love. Powerful stuff. And Peter and Paul are like, okay, so what does that look like in the family? And the Holy Spirit told them to tell us that the way this love one another thing 
is played out in the family is that everybody, regardless of where you fall in the family hierarchy, dad, mom, husband, wife, parent, child, submit to one another. Out of reverence, not for each other, because let's face it, each other is not always worth submitting to, right? I mean, but out of reverence for who? Out of reverence for Christ. I understand what Paul is saying is, hey, all you Jesus followers, all you church people, who are wondering what this love thing looks like lived out in the family, here it is. Everybody is a smith, everybody else, out of reverence for Christ. It's called mutual submission. Leveraging all of our power, resources, and assets for the benefit of the other people in our family. And Paul says, here's what it's looked like when it's applied. Wives submit, husbands love, children obey, dads don't exasperate. This is what Christian families should do. No, it's never going to be ideal, but we still need to shoot for the ideal. Mutual submission. I'm going to leverage all my time, all my power, and all my assets for your benefit. I'm going to look for ways to get up under your burden for your sake out of reverence for Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us, right? I mean, Jesus got up under our burden and leveraged everything he had, all his power, all his authority, his position, his very life for our benefit. Uh, Understand, whenever a group of people come together, driven by the desire to use what they have for for the benefit of each other, it changes everything. I'm going to say that again. Whenever a group of people, a family, a church, whenever a group of people come together, driven by the desire to use what they have for the benefit of each other, it changes everything. Get it? Good. Uh, The message of mutual submission is I'm, I'm here for you. I'm not here for myself. I'm here for you, for your benefit. Nobody in this family is more important than anybody else. We're we're going to mutually submit to each other. And and the question mutual submission asks is, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Turn to the person to your right and left and ask them, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? To t- talk about a game changer, right? The offer of all I am for all that you need. Where do we begin? We begin with God and with a shifted mindset that will change everything. What can I do to help? I-, I mean, does anybody out there think that this shift in mindset would make a difference in your family? And who does it start with? Does it start with you waiting for your family to make the first move? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah, Philippians 2, some of us read that this week, where Paul says, don't look out only for your own interest. When you walk home, whose interests are you looking out for? When you walk into this building, who are you looking out for, right? Your interests or the interests of others? Don't look out only for the interests of others, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude Jesus had. Jesus, who left everything, right? Jesus, who did not cling to his rights as God, did not, who gave up all his privileges, right? Put on flesh, became obedient, even 
obedient to death on the cross, right, for the benefit of other people. He certainly wasn't thinking about himself on the cross. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. What can I do to help? So I I want us to begin asking that question. Literally. It may feel awkward. It may feel forced, right? And your family members may think that you're only doing it because we talked about it at church. Well, what a novel idea, right? I mean, we go to church. This is crazy. I mean, I, I know this is crazy. Like, we go to church, and we hear God's truth, and we go out and do it, right? That, that's just like a crazy idea, right? Yeah, why don't we try it? So students, this week, ask your parents, hey, what can I do to help? Now, they'll probably be so shocked they won't even be able to give you an answer. And if you want to score a lot of points, ask them in front of their friends. And their friends will look at your mom and dad and say, what just happened? Teach us. Teach us. And parents, so much of what we say is negative, correcting, and instructing. And by asking the question, what can I do to help? It can keep the conversation from going negative all the time. And I would add this for parents, because I always need this one as well. It goes back to a guy named Dan Latwing, a sponsor of our youth group in Georgia, Florida. Parents with your kids, catch them doing something good. I, I am a gold medalist at catching my kids doing something bad. I can do it fast. I can walk into the house, boom, man, I'm gifted, right? Look at the dishes, look at your room, look at your shoes, right? You know, but hey, catch them doing something good. Every day, parents, catch your kids doing something good and applaud them and say, what can I do to help? Ladies, wives, this is a powerful question to ask your husbands. And most guys, they'll say, no, 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 I got it. You know, I got it. But by asking, you're, you're saying, hey, I'm aware you carry a burden. I, 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 I don't want to interfere, but is there something I can do? Is there something that I can take off your plate? And guys, husbands, we need to ask this question because many times our wives are afraid to ask us for help because they know that it, their requests will often be met with instant resistance. What can I do to help? Mutual submission. And listen, the reason we don't ask and the reason some of us in this room will not ask this question this week is fear. Fear, afraid we're going to be taken advantage of. You see, fear is the biggest barrier to you and I actually asking the question, what can I do to help? How can I help you? And selfishness is the reason we're afraid. You see, students, if you ask, what can I do to help? You may wind up cutting the grass or, or washing dishes, right? And husbands, you say, hey, what can I do to help? You're going to find out, dang, I was going to watch the game and get ready to go fishing. <laughs> and now, now, now you have something you want me to do. But listen, it really is the ultimate family game changer. Mutual submission. What can I do to help? It's not about me. It's about everyone else. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's where it begins. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus looked at this messed up world and he looked at his dad and said, what can I do to help? And father said, I don't think you want to know. Seriously, I do. Okay, you're going to have to leave here, put on flesh, become one of them, be mistreated, misunderstood, be beaten, put to death on the cross. I'll do it. 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the one who gave it all up for you. And yeah, it will cost us. But hey, welcome to being a Jesus follower. Right? Because here, here's the deal. If your faith is not costing you anything, then you are not really following Jesus. If your faith is not costing you anything, you are not following Jesus. And I invite you this week, spend some time alone with God, and ask yourself, what is my faith really costing me? Is it costing you anything? Right? If following Jesus, there's a price to pay, but there certainly is a, a reward at the end. And, and let me say something real quick, and it is, is a real, real quick, so that no one misappropriates my message. Submitting to one another does not mean that no one's in charge. It has nothing to do with authority, but rather how we use our authority. So men, go ahead and be the head of your family like Christ is the head of the church. Question, did Jesus give up his authority when he gave himself up for the church? Did he lose his authority, right, when he sought the church's needs above his own? Of course not. Again, it's not about giving away our authority. It's about using our power to help others. In fact, the more power we have, the better servants we should be. The more power we have, the better servants we should be. Family, where do we begin? Imagine if we began with God and what his word calls and commands us to do as dads, as moms, as husbands, as wives, as kids. Imagine if we began with God what he says to do. Imagine if we began with mutual submission. Hey, what can I do to help? How can I help you? How can I come underneath your burden and, and lift you up? You know, I, I'm convinced, you know, that every week it, it would be the same response, but, you know, there's one response God is looking for right now from everybody. It's surrender, right? Surrender. Surrender. Would you pray with me? Please stand. Father God, family, man, it, it conjures up all kinds of emotions. And Lord, I know that in some families right now, some marriages, God, man, it, it's, it's, it's hard and rough. Lord, some relationship between parent moms and dads and the kids and vice versa, it's just, it's rough. It, it's not ideal. The, the real is just not fun right now. And God, I pray that during the next few weeks, Lord, that we will trust you. And God, that we will begin with you and what your word calls us to be. I pray that every dad in here, every husband in here, will, 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 will answer the call to be who you want them to be. And every, every wife, every mom, every, every student, every child, God, will answer the call to be who you want us to be. And God, I pray just for moving. I pray for healing. God, I pray for hope. I pray for hope for the marriages that are struggling, Lord. You know, that the hope can be founded in you, that, that you, you can turn things around, that you can make a difference, that when you say that you can do immeasurably more, you weren't kidding. God, just help our families in the next few weeks. Help my family, help me to be the dad, the husband that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.